solemnly swear that I am up to no good. Messrs. Mooney, Wormtail, Padfoot and Prongs are proud to present the Marauder's Map. If you succeed tonight, more than one innocent life may be spared. Hey everyone, welcome to Hogwarts, a podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Hogwarts, a podcast. We are tackling chapter 11, The Firebolt, today. And I am very happy to have Anna back with me. Hey girl, hey! (laughs) Wonderful, well done. (laughs) It's been a long time, I don't know where that came from. Uh, can you believe we're halfway through the book already? I honestly can't. It's... It kind of makes me sad. It's going by too fast. She's got a lot of thoughts, if I'm not mistaken, <sighs> on the last chapter that we did with Julie. The oh, Marauders God. Map. Well, it's such a big chapter. It's, it's huge. It's a massive chapter. Just for the sake of the podcast, I took a running tally of how many times I kind of sort of started crying as I read just the one chapter. How it was many? five times. Guys. Five times. Five. In one chapter. It's impressive. Um, that's that's an emotional that's a nice journey. Word for <laughs> like, it. Thank you. <laughs> it's an emotional journey you went on in one chapter. You were telling me about it, and I think the first time was the first page of the chapter. Is that right? Something like that. Yeah, like it started very early. That's why I decided to keep the tally. Well, it wasn't just an emotional journey for you. <laughs> we start this chapter, chapter 11, yes. with Harry kind of dealing with everything <sighs> that he... It, yeah. He goes through so much. Yeah. I have some thoughts about that. So, so much. But I do like how the first thing he wants to go to is the picture book, which mm. doesn't get brought up mm-hmm. a whole lot. It doesn't. But which he makes goes, it more... Eff- I can't think of the word I'm trying to say, but it makes it a bigger deal when he does bring it out. You know what yeah, I mean? yeah. It's more impactful yes, when he brings it yes. out. And uh, I don't understand. I mean, I get why we don't spend more time with it. JK has a book to write uh, and there's, there's only so much time. But I imagine he goes back to that book quite often. I mean, oh, he I'm talks sure. frequently about having wanting to see his parents. There's a reason in it's in his cabinet at his bedside instead of just stored in his trunk right uh but he's going for one specific picture he goes to the wedding day and once he hears that Sirius Black was you know the best man at their wedding or best friend with James um there he is standing alongside James and Lily uh very jovial having a good time celebrating I would imagine it was a happy day and he goes through all of these dark thoughts about like he was planning this had he already talked to voldy had he already like decided what he was going to do that's a very stark start to this chapter so i was thinking about it and i was thinking more about the description of him getting back to the castle and it was all about him being in a fog he didn't have a clear idea of how he managed to get back he hardly noticed what he was doing And having gone through, you know, some grief myself, that's what it stood out to as me was just him. And so between finding this out about his parents' best friends betraying them, on top of what he hears, he now knows it's his parents dying that he hears when the Dementors um, come anywhere near him. 
So is this really the first time that Harry's actually processing any sort of emotion about the fact that his parents died when he was baby? I mean, like, I'm the Dursleys never talked about them. He wasn't allowed to talk about them, so he probably didn't think about them very much. I think it's. I think this whole book, going back to needing a permission, something as simple and as trivial as needing a permission slip to go to Hogsmeade, mm-hmm. this book is making it more tangibly real yeah. to him mm-hmm. for the first time. Yep. Uh, so maybe that's part of it. Yeah. I think it's all of it. Like you said, he just goes through a lot in this book. And so I think it's just all, well, and he's 13. I'm sure, you know, emotions are a thing. He's 13. Yes. He doesn't exactly have a firm grasp. Uh, he does let his anger at times fly off the handle. Harry, angry, never. No, never. Not at all. Which is a good lead into him coming back from uh, from his dorm, and the first words he hears is, "Harry, you you look terrible." <laughs> Which <laughs> who do you think it was who said that, Ron or Hermione? Ron, hands down, Ron. <laughs> he just has no care. I know, Did no care, no tact whatsoever. That's just what letting I was it fly. Too. I hear it in Ron's voice. I he, yes, yeah. I, you hear Ron saying it. That kicks off. Uh, essentially a session of like friend therapy mm. where Ron and Hermione are trying to help Harry through this the best are that they, they can for 13 year olds they're young yeah you're right they are young they're they're, they're trying... being amazing friends they clearly yeah. know Harry so well they care about Harry so well is this is the conversation they're they've practiced and are having with Harry necessary yes it is they know their friend well is that the moment to have it? I would say no. They also know Harry, though. And they know Harry's prone to do some not-so-wise things. I get that, but if it was a true episode of Friend Therapy, I feel like they would have, you know, let Harry say all his dark thoughts, let Harry say what they need to say, listen... And then after Harry's maybe, you know, come down Talked himself down a little bit. After visiting Hagrid, maybe like that night, then address the stupid things that they know Harry would want to do. Because I feel like now bringing it up right away so soon, all they've now done is make sure Harry's going to keep those thoughts to himself. You know what I mean? He keeps having the very dark thoughts about Black. Yeah. not. Harry's, um, we talked about a little bit before that Harry is very interesting with what he decides to let people in on. Yes. And what he doesn't, and when he decides that, like, it's all internalized, internalized, internalized until he flips a switch and all of a sudden it's like gushing out all of his deepest secrets. (laughs) Yes. He's, he's a, he's an enigma of a certain kind. It's true. So Hermione and Ron, yeah, never mind. They're helping the best that they probably know how at this point in their lives. True. Um, They're probably helping more than a lot of other 13-year-olds would. Yes. And as we've talked a billion times, and I'm sure we'll cover a billion times more, um, the counseling in this uh, (laughs) world is not exactly there. So this is the best that they got right now. So who do you think would be the best counselor at Hogwarts? This is so... I'm so happy you just asked me this question because this is literally a note that I made um, while I was reading the... Marauder's Map chapter, I think Remus Lupin would make the best counselor in I, the Wizarding World. Yeah, he, I, he could have been the first counselor 
he, he could have brought therapy to the wizarding world. Yeah, you and we know that uh, I'm always ready for a fight with you, but no, I don't think there's any <laughs> any other option, really. I, I couldn't even make one up if I tried. Yes. Uh, no, that's no, that's clearly the, right, the best know, choice. Yeah. yeah. Even yeah. Madame Pomfrey has a little bit of a bite to her. She's got kind of a lot of bite. To yeah, her. yeah. Yeah. Uh, she's she's feisty. Uh, so, <laughs> um, no, I think Lupin is by far the most intelligent and well tempered. Yes. Person to kind of, and we've I mean, seen that with Harry already. Some way of opening up. Yeah. That was the thought that I had that I stopped myself from saying earlier. Like already in this book. Without even trying, Harry opens up more to Lupin than to anybody in the whole book, in the whole series so far, I feel like. Yeah, he just has that uh, that nature of very calm, chills, not going to overreact to something that you say, uh, and he'll listen, and he'll take it in, yeah. and then he'll give you an answer back, whether it's a answer answer, or whether it's kind of a roundabout answer that's not really going to give you anything, but it'll make you feel better anyway, yeah, yeah. so... Uh, yeah, he's he's very much that kind of that kind of dude. You know who needs therapy? Hmm. Hagrid. Hagrid needs to talk oh, some stuff out. Yeah. Uh, so after this friend therapy session, they decide like, hey, let's go down to Hagrid. Ron and Hermione for one reason, and Harry for that's <laughs> very a different, different reason. Yeah. Yikes! Um, but they go down to talk to Hagrid, and they find him in some rough shape. Um. Pretty much bawling. Uh, He's so emotional. He's such an emotional person. He I very much it. is. I love it. He's not scared to show it. No, not not at all. And uh, he, what's got him so upset is a letter he received from the Committee for the Disposal of Dangerous Creatures. Basically, dun, a, dun, dun. yeah, it's not a great committee name. No, uh, they really could have done it. better. <laughs> but it's a committee name that essentially tells you exactly what they're there for. Yeah. Why do you expect anything different from them? Which is what Hagrid is essentially like. Yeah, that's why he's so upset. Yeah. He's like, oh, if it goes to this committee, it's not going to end well. But uh, I still want to know who the school governors are. Yeah. They keep bringing them up and they well, never... It's one of the only times that JK like cuts off a letter and doesn't give us the names of the people who wrote it. You know, like, know, it just stopped be at, like, best or whatever. Usually, like, even the letters from the ministry, you just get a random name from who it's from in the ministry. This, yeah. it just cuts off. They're very mysterious. Anyway, uh, he's worrying about Buckbeak, essentially. And, uh, because, you know, he, obviously, Buckbeak is innocent in his eyes. Mm -hmm. And, uh, Hagrid also goes into, uh, a little monologue about, Azkaban and not wanting to go back to Azkaban. Yeah. And it, uh, they take note of like, wow, he doesn't really talk about this. And for a guy of his looming massive nature, as, as, as emotional as he is, he's still a rough, tough, big, strong dude. Yeah. And he, he's frightened yeah. of even the thought of going back there because it wrecked him after whatever he was in there for, weeks, days? He said it was two months. Two months, two months, yeah. Which, I mean, that's a, that's long, a long time. time. That's a long time. And we've gotten these descriptions now of of Azkaban where it's just like, the most depressing place in the world doesn't even do it justice. No, <laughs> like, no. The more and more, they just you. keep giving you these like, more and more descriptions yeah. of Dementors. And it's just like, how does any, how is Hagrid still Hagrid after spending two months there? 
I have some more thoughts on that for for spoilers too, but it almost it, like they and they keep referencing. I think Fudge talks about it, whereas like I was expecting to walk in in Sirius Black be a, oh, yeah. a tortured, mm-hmm. you know, a broken man, right? And he was like asking for my crossword. Yeah, it makes you wonder how. Yeah, uh, how is that even possible? But, Did it stand out to you though when he was talking about Azkaban that one of his worst memories? Was the loss of Norbert. Yeah. I feel like that's something that, and it's another thing that just everybody kind of is just like, oh, ha, 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 the dragon went away. But, like, the more I thought about it, it really stuck out to me. Like, Hagrid had, like, called himself mummy, and, like, I guess that was really disturbing for him. Can we take a second to delve into Hagrid for a little bit? Yeah. Um, So... Hagrid was a unique individual even back in his yeah, years he was of, 12 years of Hogwarts. Old. Yes. Yeah. He was obviously, he stuck out in a crowd, let's just say. Do you get the feeling, because his, I get the feeling his best friend at that time was Aragog. Yeah. Do you get the feeling like he wasn't very, po- we don't know much, honestly, about Hagrid's schooling. Other than his obviously like the big moment. I all we get is that one kind of like mean little diatribe that Tom Riddle gives right. in the chamber. Yeah. Yeah. And so we kind of, you know, get that blurb. But I get the sense that not a very popular individual for whichever reason you want to throw out there. Uh, and I think to him, his friends were literally creatures. Yeah. So, and you mentioned calling Norbert you know, uh, calling himself mummy and stuff like that was like, he has, I think, a deeper level connection to these things because those were his only friends uh, for a long, long time. Yeah. So, yeah, it just means more. Yeah. Um, I don't know. No one ever really talks about Hagrid in that sense before of like going back and maybe why he loves I, scare magical creatures so much. Right. And I think um, he deserves that, that it's not, notice. It's not just because he's an outdoorsy person. No. No, definitely not. That, that's I think there's a difference point. between Charlie Weasley loving animals exactly. and Hagrid loving yes. animals. Yes. Charlie Weasley is more of the outdoorsy yes. type. Um, Hagrid, I agree. those are emotional connections for I agree. Him. Yeah. It's just an interesting kind of look. So after this meeting with Hagrid, uh, the Golden Trio turns into the Lawyer Trio, and <laughs> they go and they're researching like all sorts of magical creature law examples. 1294. They wanted to use an example from the year 1294. I, I was like, I mean, I get it. Precedence is precedence. Also, wasn't but... that the Manticore yes, example? Which was a great example because they're like, oh, he got off. He wasn't put to death because no one wanted to go near it. <laughs> Great. Just great. Love it. Oh, that's fantastic. So just a, a cool little moment of the three of them doing some sleuthing, which Again, is Again, being great. good friends. It's great. Yes. Uh, yes, exactly. They were there to... They tried to help Harry. <laughs> sort of succeeded, sort of failed. Failed. And then they go to Hagrid, and then all three of them have to try to, like, literally carry him into the... It's the whole thing. Anyway. All this is happening, by the way, it's Christmas, because we're already at Christmas, and um, Ron awakes Harry with presents, Yes, as always, 
Anna's ideal clothing gift was a scarlet sweater with a Gryffindor head on it. I mean, obviously. Obviously. Goes without Molly, saying. Molly, you can knit one for me for Christmas. <laughs> you should trade. You should knit her a Hufflepuff with the oh badger on it. I would try. I'm sure hers would be much better than mine. Uh, I know how much you love Hufflepuff. So I, that, that might I be like... I would do that for her. Okay. All right. <laughs> anyway, uh, they get through the gifts. Obviously, the, the predominant one... Is the long, thin package, which again... Yeah, I know. Ooh, I wonder what <laughs> Yeah, I wonder is. what that could be. Uh, he unwraps it, and it's a fireball. Uh, if you remember back from the Leaky Cauldron chapter, I believe it was, uh, is when Harry was exploring Diagon yes. Alley mm-hmm. and, and yep, yep, yep. ran into the, the fireball. His just description of what it is, it just sounds pricey. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, it's like actually vibrating in his hands. Yeah. yeah. It sounds like a living thing. Yeah. It 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 sounds its price. I, I think later in this chapter he estimates it's like or, or something like that. He's the estimate- reason he didn't buy it was because he needed to remind himself he had um, five more years of Hogwarts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, the price wasn't listed, which right then and there you yeah. know is a problem. So true. <laughs> yeah, they ex- they exclaim over this. Hermione is a little skeptical. I believe. She should be like it's not. She's no, she's very. It's smart. not illogical. It's coming from a very like. It's a reasonable thing yeah, to be like. Wait, Mary, this is a really good broom. This is expensive, yes. and no one left Throughout a note. Throughout this, she is clearly the most concerned for Harry's safety with Sirius Black. So of course, with yeah. how logical her mind is, yeah. I I get Ron and Harry's like indignation about it, but Hermione's right here. She's yeah. very right. And, yeah. like, I feel really bad for her that they're so mean to her, but... They're they're over the top, yeah. yeah. I, I get being annoyed by it, but, like, you gotta see where she's coming exactly. from. And see her, yeah. like... I get it. 30 or thick. I get it. Still, <laughs> it's like, come on. Come on, guys. Uh, so, anyway. A lot of this chapter comes from the big Christmas feast that they have, which... Mm-hmm. My goodness, it's a eclectic group of people. Isn't it? <laughs> And I love this. It actually might be, and, and, and there's there's some things to it, but it might be one of my favorite just little throwaway bits in this book that you almost will forget about completely, but it's so great. And we'll get to those in a second. So the, the group is, you have, uh, this is the one that's mentioned in the book. You have Dumbledore, McGonagall, Snape, Flitwick, Ron, Hermione, Harry, Two nameless first years. No, one of them's named Derek. Oh, yes. One of them is named... Yes, you're right. <laughs> one of them is named Derek. One of them is nameless. Yes. And a fifth year Slytherin. Who I just feel really bad <laughs> yeah, for him. Seriously. You're so the odd one. Do you sit next to Snape? Like, what do you do there? I don't know. I don't know either. Uh, that's super awkward. Um, so, <laughs> so there's 12 of them uh, sitting at this table. And... Uh, I, I just got the throwaway bits that are just great. Albus is a just a, a delight, isn't yes, he? Yes, he is. I would love to spend a holiday with Albus Dumbledore. He's just I so... I pull a Christmas cracker with him. He's just so upbeat and cheerful. And just has zero cares in the world. Yeah. You know, it's wonderful. And, and Snape is like the counter. So emo. It's like through the roof. You know what I really want to know? I want to know the magic of the Christmas cracker. Was it Albus himself that made the hat pop out be the hat with the stuffed vulture? 
Like, can we, in my, my headcanon is definitely that Albus is just kind of just messing, messing with, Snape? with Snape. Yes. Yes. Makes me really happy. Just like, what are you going to do about it? You can do nothing. Oh, happy like. Christmas. Oh, yeah. It's great. And now I'm starting to picture it. Like, I shouldn't because it's not like, this isn't Jude Law's Dumbledore. It's a much older version of Jude Law's character. But it's like. It's Jude Law Dumbledore's personality with the silver beard. Like, <laughs> it it's is. like, it's yeah. his, like, snark sassiness. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So when I read that, that's the first time I think ever while reading the books, I thought of, like, the, the Jude Law version of Dumbledore. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but anyway. And then, <laughs> and then when Snape is like, ha, you know, whatever. <laughs> Dumbledore is just very casually, I'm going to take off my hat and I'm going to put the vulture hat on and just rock it. And I'm like, good for you, man. That's great. Uh, yes. Albus is awesome. Uh, as much as I've criticized <laughs> Albus Dumbledore on this, this podcast. Scene, he is prime. He is great. Um, yeah. So uh, now we get to the more interesting part of this feast. So uh, we have a guest. And that guest is Professor Trelawney. I want her dress, just for the record. What I imagine her dress to look like, I want it. She comes down from her North Tower, uh, which is rare. And she is invited to sit down. And, and she gives us, like, I had just had this... She was, what, crystal ball gazing or mm -hmm. something like that? And she yes. just had this, like, overwhelming feeling that she had to come down. I think she saw herself in, in yeah. the crystal ball coming yeah. down, yeah. So they ask her, I was like, oh, well, that's all right. Come down, join the table. And then she notes that there are already 12 individuals there. And it's superstition that if a 13th person sits, the first one to rise will be the first to die of the group. That's the, it's not a prediction. It's not a prophecy per se. It's just a superstition that she holds very seriously. So she notes that uh, McGonagall sloughs her away very quickly let me, let me stop right there and just say, yes, Anna's on this podcast today. Uh, she has some strong thoughts, as do I. We're not going to get into a full-blown no. throwdown argument here. Even I don't though, think this is deserving of a full-blown argument. If you want that, go back to our uh, the Bogart and the Wardrobe chapter a couple chapters ago, and that's when you can get <laughs> me and her yelling at each other. Uh, we'll have a more civilized discussion here. But my, my, anyway, to finish out the scene, Trelawney sits down, they're having discussions. She sits down between Snape and McGonagall, which I feel, yeah. again, is just Albus being like, ah, <laughs> trolling. how much can I just stir I the pot? just making his Christmas more fun for himself. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. He's like, I'm just going to mess with my staff this Christmas. <laughs> Why not? McGonagall and Trelawney have a very rocky relationship as peers. <laughs> Which McGonagall makes apparent by making snarky, dare I say, uh, not pleasant. I have a different word in my outline, uh, but like she makes some comments. She does. She that, does. Uh, if you know my history, again, go back to Towns and Tea Leaves and the Bogart in the Wardrobe. Inappropriate comments, in my view. But. Well, especially in front of students. And uh, yes, Snape is awfully quiet. <laughs> That's true. Which Snape is, is pretty quiet. Yeah. He's, he's still upset about the hat. He probably is. Uh, thinking ways he can yell at Lupin probably for it. Um, <laughs> but anyway, uh, so there's a bunch of snide comments and, and what have you. Uh, and yeah, it's 
it makes me think of what McGonagall said in the last chapter, the Marauder's Map chapter, when they're having this big discussion. And Anna's going to have a big thing to say about the Marauder's Map and spoilers, so stick with us for that. But uh, that discussion, McGonagall was talking, they were all talking about uh, James and, and Sirius. Uh, Lupin, not as much. They never once mentioned the name Remus Lupin. But they do bring up Peter, because they're talking about Sirius and, and Peter, those final moments of the big boom, the big bang. And, uh, <laughs> and McGonagall says she was very sharp yes. with Peter when he was a student, and she regrets that. And she says so with some emotion in her voice. She sounded like she had a head cold. And uh, we can kind of get into it a little bit in spoilers if you want to as well. Because, spoiler alert, uh, you know, McGonagall and Trelawney continue <laughs> to be professors <laughs> at Hogwarts. So obviously the relationship has more to it. But um, I just wonder, the way she's treating Trelawney, she, McGonagall can have a very harsh personality. Well, she can. She's a sharp she's, woman. She's a sharp woman. That is, yeah. With a sharp tongue. And she's tongue. described that way from the very beginning. She is. So, I, it just also makes me wonder, like, wow, she admitted the Peter Pettigrew regrets. What have you. I happen to wonder if someday she'll look back and be like, wow, I was unprofessional. Or, wow, I was kind of mean. Just borderline mean at times. I also wonder, forget Pettigrew, forget Trelawney. How many times has she just been borderline mean or aggressive to people in general. Yeah. Not just students, not just peers, like a person on the street in like Tycon Alley or something like that. And she says a rude comment to like, um, okay. I am in no way trying to make excuses for McGonagall. She is, she's, she's a mean girl towards, towards Trelawney. Like I'm a millennial. Yes. I love the movie Mean Girls and Minerva McGonagall is a mean girl towards Trelawney. I think I can kind of sympathize with her because I'm kind of that person sometimes. I work in an airport. If I'm having a bad day, sometimes I can be a little snarky towards people and I sometimes regret it and feel like a mean girl. But in the case of McGonagall and Trelawney, you said, okay, spoiler, they continue to be professors. More stuff happens between them. What I'm thinking about in this moment is they've already been professors together for 13 years. That's 13 years of Trelawney telling students they're going to die. We saw Harry's class were very somber after she told Harry she saw the Grimm in his teacup. And that's kind of, for all we know, that's a mild response to Trelawney's death predictions. Like, who knows what effect that has had on students in the past. And that, I don't think I communicated that very well in my yell fest at you <laughs> in our previous episode together. Is my number one problem with Trelawney is I don't like that she just spews all of her knowledge to her young students. I think as a responsible teacher, maybe some of those things like death omens should be kept to herself or to other adults, maybe. Um, and so maybe that's why Minerva maybe feels some type of way towards Trelawney. I could also just be making excuses for my girl Minnie because she's being mean. Your mean girl's comment, if I'm not mistaken, that movie takes place with high school age ladies. Ah. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, 
McGonagall is well over like 70 at this point. a mean girl. There's always a little bit of mean girl in you, Dan. It's just a thing. And the thing with Pettigrew... I'm not a high schooler and I called myself a mean girl. The thing with Pettigrew happened 11 years. You've just recently... Pettigrew, that's a whole other thing because that's one of her students. Sure, but that happened, you know, whatever, 12, 13 years ago, whatever it was. And you just, you just came to the realization that, ah, I kind of regret that. And yet you show, like, no actual growth upon that. But anyway, I digress. <laughs> Do you have anything else you want to say? No, no, no. I'm agreeing with you. She's being mean. Fair enough. On that note, we've already kind of mentioned a lot of things we wanted to get to in the spoiler section. Uh, Anna's going to have some comments on the Marauder's <laughs> Map. Uh, we have some stuff on, you know, Black not being affected in Azkaban that I think mm-hmm. would be cool to kind of dive into. And you know what? Since we mentioned Pettigrew a couple of times, well, let's talk about him. How about I that? have another thing in the spoilers for the feast, too. I like it's it. It's just a little sprinkle. Well, let's go ahead and get there, then. Um, enjoy the sound of Anna <laughs> not calling me this for one time. I won't be a mean girl this time. Hey, and we'll see you back in the spoilers section. You! You foul loads of them evil little cockroach! All right, so we are back for the spoiler section, and we'll kick it off with uh, Anna's note on the the feast there. So I just would like to point out, and I'm sure everybody listening probably already knows this in the spoiler section because it's a very popular thing to point out on the internet. But so Trelawney's whole thing of thirteen who die in the first rise, first to die. Mm-hmm. So Scabbers yes. is in Ron's pocket. So there were yes. already thirteen at the table. Correct. Dumbledore stands up. Yes. When Shalani walks in, and he is the first to die. Yep. So, you know, Shalani was right. Trelawney there was right. There I said it. <sighs> okay, I'm going to try. It's just for him, you guys. I'm going to try not to die of shock right you have now. Yeah, on recording. <sighs> I'm going to figure out a way to snip it and put it <laughs> as like our trailer, like our feature trailer. <laughs> That'll be the next break noise. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Trelawney was right. Or just like my ringtone on your phone. Anytime <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, that makes me happy. Okay. Um, You're welcome. Is that all you have? That's literally time? all I wanted to love point it. out. I love it. Uh, thank you for that. I feel vindicated now <laughs> and we can move on. Uh, well, we're going to move on with more of your thoughts. Uh, hit me with, I, I know the Marauder's Map chapter is a huge chapter for you. I mean, I don't even know where you want me to begin. You know what I want um, actually from you? I love to hear, I guess, in more chronological order, I guess. I love to hear your opinion on the Lupin Harry stuff. Mm. And I also want to hear your opinion on the uh, meeting at the three broomsticks mm. between the the adults. Okay. Well, Harry Lupin, I mean, just like, how many times could we point out throughout this book the mastery Lupin has over his emotions? Yeah. Like, Stunning. Who, Boy is internalizing probably a little too much because, like, I mean, you wonder why Dumbledore trusts him so much with so yeah. many things. Touche, touche. Um, one thing: How do you think he must feel that Snape is clearly trying to out him for being a werewolf to his well, class? That's... Like, how is he not super angry? I would like walk in. He's just smirking at the class, being so outraged. I would be super mad at Snape. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, he went in there and said, I'll have a word with Severus, or I'll have a word with right. Professor Snape. Yeah. 
A, I wonder if he actually did or if that was just talk. I mean, he must. Or B, like, yeah, because I'm with you. Like, dude, that's inappropriate. Like, what are you doing? And, yeah, that's a whole thing. I know. I was going to say, that's, that's not thing. even, like, that's what I really thing. want to talk about. I had a lot of feelings about when Harry's talking to him about, you know, why do the Dementors affect me so? And Lupin immediately knows that Harry's worried it's that he's weak. And, like, I was kind of thinking it in terms of, like, does Lupin already know Harry well enough? Because I said in the non-spoiler section, like, there's something about Lupin. Harry already opens up to him more than, like, more than Ron and Hermione, more than Dumbledore. Lupin just kind of gets stuff from Harry. So, like, does he know Harry well enough? Or is this kind of, like, influence on his friendship with James? Is he already seeing so many sim- similarities between James and Harry that he knows this is how James would feel about it? This is how he would have talked to James about it? Like, people talk a lot about how Sirius Black saw Harry as James, but, like, Lupin has to, maybe not as much as Sirius, but there's got to be a little bit. No, no, I mean, just the physical similarities alone. Yeah. And people, to your point, I think Julie and I talked about how people in general who tangentially know James are like, oh, you look like James. Lupin doesn't tangentially know James. He knew James in his third year... Like, he probably looks at him and sees literally James. Yep. Even in just, like, his mannerisms. And, yeah, like, I just, I don't know how Lupin gets through this year. I don't. The way he does. I don't understand how Harry keeps mentioning Harry and Lily die. Yeah. And Lupin is just. I love that moment, how it's described of him making the sudden motion of wanting to like, and he like holds himself back from clearly trying to put his arm on Harry or his hand on Harry's arm. And it's just like, what? I just want to be like, just tell him, come on, just like tell Harry that you can like understand how much pain he's in because these were your friends too. Like Give him a hug. I mean, Harry probably doesn't want a hug from like, him. This but is I us just, rereading. It would help both of you, I feel like. Because has Remus even been given a chance to process his emotions? I mean, not. he literally lost all of his friends. And he's the scum of society. Yeah. So did he have anyone to talk to about that? Probably not. It's We're taking that note on our nth reread. Well, right. Right? Reading this for the first time, you got to be reading it as like because you don't know Lupin's right. true importance. Yeah, and that's one of those types of moments that is discernibly different. Your first read to your whatever read, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, you're right. Because it's so much more impactful. It's one of the times that got me crying. Yeah, it's it's just one of those bookmark moments where you're like, wow, this is a first read to. Second read difference, let's just say. Yeah. Forget your 10th or whatever read we're on. I don't, I lost <laughs> so track long ago. I, yeah. <laughs> your, oh, you wanted me my talk on the, the broomsticks. The group, yeah. yeah. I do have a fun fact. Molly called me out for why James Potter is my favorite character. I think this conversation this is, one, this is, a mark. is where it began. <laughs> I think this is where it began. And the fact that James was like, no, no, Dumbledore, like. Sirius Black is my guy. I think I don't know why that struck out to me. Is but yeah, this is where it began. This this conversation in the three broomsticks. Because you mentioned that. Mm-hmm. Julie and I were discussing the 
plausibility of, I don't know if this was James's call or if it was James and Lily as a couple, their call to make the kind of bait and switch of serious but not serious. It was Sirius's idea. Well, they obviously signed off on it. Yeah. So was it a case of them just being too smart for their own good? Yeah. I think they should have just played it straight. Serious, yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting kind of like you're outsmarting yourselves mm-hmm. when you don't really need to. But if you just let James do his thing and trust Black like he wanted to. I mean, who knows? Maybe stuff goes down and we still lose James and Lily and Harry still yeah. is an orphan, but it's an interesting question. Um speaking of Sir- Oh, did you have anything else on that conversation? I do have one question and then we can be done because I don't want to make you go too long. But there was one moment in the chapter where Fudge says that he's basically talking about the Dementors being at the school for the protection of the school. And he says that Black is much worse than Dementors. I'm just wondering what your take on that. Would you really, I know Black in their mind did some, a really horrible crime, but do you really, is your assessment of the situation really that serious Black is worse than a soul sucking, depressing, like embodiment of depression that as far as we know can't be killed yeah <gasps> oh i never even thought about that like we can repel it yeah but i don't think i've ever heard of something killing a dementia yeah, you're right do you know what i'm saying yeah I, I think they do mention at some point that generally people being happier mm-hmm. makes their numbers less like they breed, they breed on despair yeah. yeah that's what the fog is right yeah. so like People generally being happy decreases their overall numbers. Right. But I've never heard of them being, like, eradicated or killed. They always, like, keep coming back, which is, again, depression. You could push it away a little bit, but it's Mm -hmm. it's always, you know, a part of you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. Wow, I had a thought, and then that just completely blew my mind. Sorry. No, it was a good thought. (laughs) I mean, I'm excited I blew your mind, but... (laughs) Oh, no. uh, Okay, so... Speaking of black being dangerous, going back to the, I'm not going to belabor it, but I just kind of wanted to point it out. Going back to the Minerva Sybil mm-hmm. back and forth that they had, mm-hmm. McGonagall reacts to Trelawney's prognostations and she goes, it's not like there's an axe murderer <laughs> waiting outside the door. I'm like, no, Minerva, there actually is. <laughs> like, what are you saying she right now? an axe murderer. Yes, he's a, he's a blow up a block murderer. murderer. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, Minerva, what are you doing? You're so off cut. Like, laughs at her joke. <laughs> like, that's such a, <laughs> a Sybil thing aside. That's a really bad thing to say when there literally is. Especially with Harry sitting right there. <laughs> no, it's like, what are you doing? Anyway, I'm sorry. Well, the axe mirror is actually in Ron's pocket, so it's fine. But anyway, I just, I read that, I'm like, what are you talking about? We're in Prisoner of Azkaban. What are you doing? Anyway. Oh, Oh, God. Anyway, so I did want to talk about Sirius Black and his seeming aversion to Mm. uh, Azkaban and the effects of Azkaban. And my question to you Mm -hmm. is... We have Sirius Black, and we have Hagrid, and a direct comparison, I guess. Hagrid spends two months, mm-hmm. and 
not that we know of, has done anything of real, like, negativity or, like, that will really take something from you. Like, he hasn't killed anybody. He hasn't, like... He, he said he had lost his... He was thinking about when his dad died. Sure. And then Norbert and when he was expelled. Those were the right. three things he mentioned. Okay, let's focus on the expelled bit. Because that's a big thing. Oh. But he was framed for that. He didn't mm-hmm. actually commit the crime that he was expelled for. But it ruined for. his life. I mean, it... Where I'm going with this is yeah. Sirius Black. Oh, yeah. Was essentially framed for a crime uh-huh. that he did not commit. Goes to Azkaban. And the image that we're supposed to get is his innocence carried him through. Like, that mm-hmm. was something that he dwelled on. Wait, for Hagrid, you mean? No, for Sirius. So when we're in the Shaking Shack, since we're in the spoiler section... He talks about, he addresses how he didn't lose his mind in Azkaban. And it was because he still had just enough power left that he would transform into his Padfoot form, into his Animagus form, and that Dementors cannot feed off of animals. But he's So when he was in his dog form, no, but he was in his animal form. So the way at least... They kind of skirt around they, it. Yeah, JK kind of skirts around it and basically says when he's in his dog form, he's not being fed on by the Dementors. And that's what I always took to mean that's what saved him from losing his mind all those years. I had always assumed it was the fact that he was mm-hmm. truly innocent of the crime, so that doesn't play a role in it. I mean, we can talk, we can rediscuss when that chapter is read. And you can call me out if I'm wrong, but I'm fairly confident that is what we are told gets him through. That's fine, but I don't like that. I don't like that either. Even though that, if that's factually true, I don't like that. Cause I, don't... I like it more than the idea of his innocence carrying Well, that was, that was ultimately my how point. how many innocent people are probably in Sent there. Prison. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's the ultimate point I was getting at, was like... <laughs> I'll stop interrupting you now. That was, that was the <laughs> ultimate point I was getting at was Hagrid truly innocent, yeah. Sirius truly innocent, one still having effects, the other's not. When Sirius, again, I don't know all of Hagrid's backstory, mm-hmm. to be fair. So with that caveat aside, we do know more about Sirius's childhood. It was not a pleasant one. Yeah. Growing up in the black household was not fun for him. And his his parents were not great parents. Mm-hmm. He was surrounded by people that uh, were very counter to what he was all about. And they told him frequently about that. Yeah. To the point where he ran to, to James mm-hmm. frequent times. So he, I guess the point that I was trying to make was between Hagrid and Sirius. And Sirius being there for a significantly longer period of time has more darkness. 12 years of it! More <laughs> darkness to dwell upon. Uh, that would affect him. So him coming out of it so good. I mean, how good did he really come out of it? I mean, we don't asking fudge about crosswords to... is pretty good. Okay, considering well, that's one like two minute conversation. I get it. For all we know, I mean, it obviously it's almost took a full year that he's been out of Azkaban from when he escapes to when we meet him in the Shrieking Shack. So who knows what he was like? Well, when sure. He first I mean, out. they talk about him. Looking like it's taken something from him. I'm not saying that he's come out of it like, like I just went in there yesterday. No, it's taken a toll on him. Yes, but he's not insane. He's not completely 
off the hinge, it was, you know, like others have, like Hagrid was worried about it just two months in. You know, mm-hmm. it's like... I think you did... I think you are kind of right. I think he does make a point that, like, something that fed him while he was in was that the idea of his innocent wasn't a happy thought. And the idea that he knew Pettigrew... Well, he didn't know Pettigrew was out there until later. But I think he did. He does make some sort of point that, like, the fact that, I got that he from knew somewhere. he didn't I don't do the know crime, where I got it that wasn't from. a happy thought. So yeah. they couldn't take that out of his mind. Something like that, yeah, to that you're nature. Right. He does say something like that. You're right. Because uh, I know I got that from somewhere, I swear. <laughs> <laughs> but that's been kind of like my whole thing. So, I mean, regardless, the comparison of Hagrid and Sirius is kind of an interesting yeah. one. Well, Hagrid hmm. also has his giant blood in him. Do you think that's a help or a hindrance? I would have thought it was a help to like make him stronger and more resilient. It makes him more resilient to spells Physical harm. and such. Yeah. But who knows? Maybe it makes him more susceptible emotionally, or like to like somehow. mental emotional attacks. Yeah, maybe. maybe. Maybe that's why those two months affected him more than serious i don't know it's possible it's just an interesting kind of yeah. thing and i'm like well how did black and and we like you said we can kind of revisit it yeah. again when we get to more of his explaining like oh. how he managed to get oh out God, of it as good as he did wild. yes yes it will <laughs> uh another major player in that and i just wanted to get to him uh because if you know me i'm trying to point out things that are a little bit different in this series and look i've been a part of this harry potter fandom for a long time now. Uh, so I'm not as young as I used to be. So I've been around here quite a bit. So I know I was in MuggleNet and their chat rooms. I've been in the Veritaserum chat rooms when that was a thing and and things like that. And I've, we've, during this podcast, we've done Twitter and Instagram and all these things. It's great. And I love the Harry Potter fandom. But I want to point out some things on this podcast that I think are more unique takes that I haven't seen before. And one of those takes, and I'm going to put you on blast, because you told me about it uh, before we started here in this prep. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> I have in my outline, Pettigrew. Like, what are his kinds of thoughts and feelings? And you said, what, Anna? My note on that for the outline was, I don't really care about Pettigrew's thoughts and feelings. <laughs> that is literally my exact point, is... Okay, but, like... My, the reason I feel that way is because he betrayed James and Lily. That, that's fair. I but just don't when, want to give him my time. I get it, but so... He could have an interesting backstory. I get what you're well, saying. Well, not even a backstory. Like, not even a backstory. But the view of Pettigrew, viewed by the vast majority of the fandom, is that view of, like, betrayed James and Sirius, and that's, you know, a servant to Lord Voldy, and, and that's literally his story. He has more story than that. One of JK's great things is whether she literally puts it on page or not, there's a lot of depth. We've talked about depth to Snape because he gets overplayed a ton because he's in the series a ton. Dumbledore, ton of depth there. Ton of depth to Harry, ton of depth to McGonagall and Trelawney, which we've like, there's a ton of depth to all these characters. So if there's a ton of depth to all these characters, why wouldn't there be depth to Pettigrew? I think JK makes it clear there is depth. To Peter, I think the fandom chooses to ignore it, which is why my note was the note that it was. 
And that's why I'm here to do this podcast. So I'm going to pose this question to you. So I'm going to pose this to you. Look, Pettigrew is still a person. He's a person that lived in this world. He was friends. He grew up with James and Sirius and Lupin. He owes a lot to James and Sirius and Lupin for letting him kind of be a part of the group when he was kind of an outcast in his class. At least that's the impression we get. And... I have thoughts about your word choice, but continue. I'll come back to it. <laughs> he is a part of this group. And I think he does have a lot of... He has a lot of adoration for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, McGonagall talks about, like, hero worship, mm-hmm. which is part of it. Part of it is just... Uh, part of it, I, I do think, is an intense gratitude for them to kind of <laughs> let him go on the coattails, which I think was another phrase thrown out there of of those two specifically, James and Sirius. No one ever talks about the idea of... We talk about other characters and Voldy's effect on them. We talk about the the First Order of the Phoenix. We talk about the Second Order of the Phoenix. And McGonagall talks frequently about Voldy and his presence and fear of suspicion and darkness. And you don't know where he is, what he's doing, who he's killing, whatever. And it's this fear that just seeps in. The only person that seems relatively immune to it is Albus. Because he's been there, done that. He's been there, done that. And, uh, you know, he has his own thing. And, and even Albus, at some point, there there are moments when Voldy scares him because he can't protect everyone all the time, always. Mm-hmm. And whether he himself is not afraid of being attacked, people he cares about mm-hmm. are being attacked. Like, let's not pretend that Albus isn't afraid for someone else. Of course he is. These powerful wizards and witches are having this influence from Voldy. Peter Pettigrew, you're telling me Voldy or one of his top Death Eaters at the time, killers, known killers, doesn't knock on his door, and there's not some level of intimidation or fear. And I get what you're about to say. Sirius would just be like, kill me. I don't care. I'm not going down like that. James, we'll talk about in the next chapter, and what he does, and... Things like that. I get it. Not everybody has... There's more than just those three people in the world. You're underestimating my thoughts on this subject. You're not giving me enough credit. Okay. But there's there's more than those heroic acts. There's a lot of people that succumb to the the power and the the fear that Voldy emits. Arguably, that's what half of his Death Eaters are. Mm -hmm. As just followers because they're afraid of what will happen otherwise. Yeah. So... We talk about he betrayed James and Lily. He betrayed James and Lily. He betrayed James and Lily. What do you think is going on psychologically in his head? Because he didn't hate James and Lily. Did he hate James and Sirius? I don't think he hated them. Okay. So are you ready for my thoughts? Yeah. So when you were first starting to talk about, you know, kind of the background we have of Peter Pettigrew... Your word choice, and it's not just your word choice, it's literally, like, it's how J.K. presents it to us, is that James and Sirius let him be part of their group. You know, they allow him You're saying J.K.'s writing influences thoughts on things? No, I'm saying, like, I think that's how it was. I Hmm. think, you know, James is my favorite character. I love James and Sirius. I would love to be their best friend. 
I think James and Sirius were also cocky little sods who knew exactly how cool they were, who knew exactly how uncool Peter Pettigrew was. Do I think they thought of him as a friend? Yes, absolutely. They didn't call him a marauder for nothing. But I think, you know, we all are in friend groups. We all know that, you know, like everybody knew that it was James and Sirius who were the best friends and Lupin and Peter were kind of. So I think at some point, yes, Peter idolized them. But I think the older they got and the more he grew up, and the more people talked about how great James and Sirius were, and the more people kept talking about how, oh, isn't it so nice they let Peter hang around with them and tag along with them and ride their coattails, and they let him do this and they let him do that. Don't you think he probably got a little bitter? I will give you this to your point. Uh, to your point, I, I do think there probably was some of that, for sure. Because and then Voldemort comes in and probably pokes at that? Well, sure, because <laughs> let's go with that assumption. Uh, of, oh yeah, James and Sirius, well, they were great. They were awesome. Lupin, really smart. He was talented. He was great. I, you're there. Yeah. I, I said, Pettigrew blew up a whole block. He, yeah. he did have. And he became an animagus, same as them. I think yeah. he's looking for like, hey, I can do stuff. I can't. I I'm am a, capable. Yeah. I, I can hang. I might not be as smart as Lupin. I might not be as talented as those two, but I am not a schmuck over here. And and maybe you're right. I think Voldy did play into that. It was like, you're right. You're not a bum. Mm-hmm. I see what's valuable in you. I know what you're good at. And then on top of all that fear and everything that you're talking about. A little bit of the about, persuasion and yeah. the Tom Riddle and Voldy comes exactly. out. Exactly. And he's like. I think all of those things just kind of. You they know, look over that- you. Dumbledore doesn't value you. I value you. Do you really want to die? Like, look at all your friends in the Order of the Phoenix dying one by one. I'm picking them off. But even in this conversation, I think that's very accurate to probably how it how it played out. And I guess, yes, we're speculating on Wait. conversations and things. Yes, I think that's probably very close to how it probably played out. Um, that still doesn't mean that we weren't conflicting emotions in Pettigrew. I think he's much more than a one-dimensional... No. I agree. Villain figure. Even J.K. tries to make that point. That's, and in the end, that's what kills Pettigrew. And I don't know, maybe you want to stop me so we can save that for Deathly Hallows. But, I mean. Well, Voldy also sees that, yeah, you might have done what I needed you to do, but I don't know that you're right there with me exactly yet. So let me just throw this fail safe. you still have that love enough guilt for killing your friends? Are you going to be able to do the same to the sun? Yeah. So, all I'm, and we can, again, because there's plenty of pedigree to come still in this book and in the future, like you just said. So, but I just wanted to point out, like, everybody has this very, very narrow viewpoint of who Peter Pettigrew is and what his motivations may or may not have been or what his thoughts may or not have been. But it's always circum- circulating around he betrayed James and Sirius. And while that is what he did. And actions do speak louder. Sure. But I don't think it's such a one-dimensional thing. There's He's a human. There's a lot of stuff going on there. Of course. I think people just don't want to talk about that human stuff going on with them because... Which isn't fair because you brought up Snape and everybody loves to talk about the other side of Snape and always. I'm like, oh, there's so much more to him. And I'm sorry, all that I think is much worse than... Uh, whatever. 
Yeah, no, so... We all know how I feel about Saved. <laughs> I guess what I'm trying to do in this podcast is like... Yes, there is a duality to Snape. Yes, there's a duality to Dumbledore. We've talked about those already, and we'll continue to talk about those because they show up every other page. But there's a duality to everybody. There's a duality to every character. There's more than just one thought to every character. There's more than one motivation to every character. Pettigrew's not an exception to that. So it's interesting to kind of talk that through a little bit and, like, what is Pettigrew? He can't. Be like overjoyed happy with the death of James and Lily. Right. Like, I mean, he can't be happy with that. Even if he, even if we do say he hated them for looking down on him a little bit, he's not going to be. He can't be overjoyed at that. Well, maybe that's why he spent 13 years as a rat. His own personal penance? Yep. <laughs> I mean, maybe. He didn't want to live with himself as a human, so he just stayed in animal form. Maybe he thought that's, you know. The, the form that suited him most. But, I would have to agree. And that's fair. But to kind of, you know, pin him down as a one-dimensional, like, all he did was, you know, one bad thing. It's There's things leading up to that and things coming off of that that make him a more well-rounded character than I think a lot of people give credit for. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't I agree with you more than I thought you would? Yeah, you did, actually. See? You did. Told you. You did. Um, and I agreed with you on your, on your <laughs> agreement. Okay. <laughs> Maybe it's time. It can happen occasionally. Uh, again, if you want to see us argue, <laughs> go listen to the Boggart in the Wardrobe. Anyway, uh, do you have anything else? I don't think so. All right. Uh, you are going to be on the Patronus, the next Yay! chapter. So thank you for listening. We appreciate it. Check us out on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, we've recently, uh, I think a couple chapters ago, hit a thousand listens. Thanks, guys. That's awesome. Uh, hopefully we can keep growing. And it's all because of you guys. So thank you very much. And we will catch you on the next one. Bye. Thank you for listening to Hogwarts, a podcast. If you like what you've heard, please click the subscribe button on your preferred podcasting app and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Hogwarts Apod.